turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. Please take note of that. When someone falsely accuses you, let God defend you. You're going to waste more time opening your mouth trying to defend yourself, and usually you'll end up having to apologize for something you say in the attempt to defend yourself that'll make it worse than if you just stood there and kept your mouth shut. Can anybody relate to what I'm saying? All right? No one wants to be blamed for doing something that they didn't do. But because of our fleshly desires, we become defensive and oftentimes say things that we regret later. Jesus knew that he was right and that his ways were perfect, but he chose to not say anything in his own defense. Just as you'll learn from Pastor Gary in today's message, it's not worth wasting your time trying to defend yourself to other people. The truth will come out eventually. Just let God do the defending. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 26, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Jesus still in the compassion of the Savior who died for all. You know he is heartbroken over what Judas is doing here. He calls him friend. Do what you came for. And then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions, now we know this is Peter because John tells us in John 18.10 John 18, that it's Peter. One of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest cutting off his ear. Now, John names this guy in John 18. John names him. His name is Malchus. And Luke, in Luke's gospel, Luke's very specific because Luke was a doctor. And so Luke is really taking note to this. He's like, he's watching an ear lopped off. Well, Luke was not an eyewitness, but he's hearing about all this. But he's very particular in the scene that is related to him. And Luke says that it was the right ear. He's that specific. It was the right ear of Malchus that was cut off. So here's Peter. This is so typical Peter, right? He's the guy who's like, he's like to Jesus, you know, um, you, you'll never die, you know, and, and Jesus has to rebuke him, you know, get behind me, Satan. And Peter's the one that's like, I can walk on water. I can do this. And then, blah, 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 you know, he sinks and he's just, and he's always out there. And Peter's the one like, they might, they might betray you. I never will. You know, one little extroverted, embarrassing moment after another. And here's one more. Peter's just like, all right, and boom, and he cuts off his ear. Now, you know he wasn't that good of a shot, okay? He's probably going for his head, and he missed, and he only got the ear. 
Now, this is actually the last miracle because Luke is the one that records that Jesus picks up the ear and reattaches it to Malchus. That is the last miracle, other than you can say the resurrection, but of his physical, of his earthly ministry, that was the last resurrection, uh, that was the last miracle that Jesus performed, was the reattachment of this guy's ear. Wouldn't it have been a more incredible miracle if Peter actually got in the head and the head had rolled away? <laughs> Boom! And wait, guys, turn it around. You got it backwards. And anyhow, I'm twisted, I know. Just... Uh, but so this is the last miracle. He reattaches the ear. Uh, Peter's, you know, waving the sword. And Jesus, Jesus says this in verse 52, Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the Scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Now, a Roman legion was, was 6,000 soldiers. So 12 legions would be 72,000 angels. I don't, I don't think that Jesus was, you know, being, do the math, only 72,000. It's just a, it's a broad term that means I could call as many angels as, as I want to my disposal if I wanted to. That you don't have to use swords and you don't have to do all of this because the Scriptures must be fulfilled. I need to go to the cross. But don't think for a moment that the Romans or the Jews or the Gentiles or anybody is doing this to Jesus. Jesus is doing this for the world. His life is not being taken from him. He is laying down his life, and there's a big difference. Jesus could have just snapped his fingers, batted an eye, and and a whole host of angels would have lit up the night sky and been there to deliver him, except that what compelled Jesus to the cross was his obedience to the Father and his love for you and me. That's what it comes down to. He wanted to be obedient to the Father, and his love for you and me is what motivated him to the cross. He tells him, put the sword back in its sheath. The scriptures have to be fulfilled. Verse 55, at that time, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion? That you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me. Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then, here it is, all the disciples deserted him and fled. There's their flesh. They're afraid. Your hero's being arrested. And you are his buddy. Uh, They are likely to arrest you. So we better run for our lives while we can. It's it's their flesh. They lost courage. They fled. All of them. Well, verse 57, uh, in your Bibles it might have a subtitle like mine does, Before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the Jewish ruling council. It was made up of 70 religious leaders from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There were 70 plus a high priest. It comes from Numbers chapter 11 when Moses had 70 judges that helped him to govern the Jewish people. This is a carryover of that principle in the New Testament with the Jewish ruling council. There are 70 religious leaders. Now, there are going to be two among this group who do not want to participate in the condemnation of Jesus. One is Joseph of Arimathea, that the Bible says that Joseph of Arimathea dissented. He gave a dissenting vote. Uh, the Bible tells us. And, and then you have Nicodemus, who was also a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's the one in John 3 that Jesus has this whole conversation with about what it, must be, what it means to be born again. 
and Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus will be the two that show up at the scene of the cross, and they will request from Pilate the body of Jesus, and they will bury Jesus in the tomb that is owned by Joseph of Arimathea. So it is a, a pretty safe conclusion to, to assume, although we, we don't... The Bible's talk about them being disciples uh, of Jesus and that they were uh, followers of, of the Lord, although how public they were about it, uh, we, we're not quite sure. But um, Jesus is going to be hauled here before the Jewish ruling council, these 70 elders uh, made up of Pharisees and, and Sadducees. Uh, they had a rule among themselves at this time that they needed 23 for a quorum. They, their, their rules also were that they needed a simple majority to acquit someone, to acquit someone who was, found, who was uh, charged with a crime. A simple majority would acquit someone, and if they were acquitted, they had to be released immediately. Their rules also were that it took a simple majority plus two to condemn someone. Simple majority plus two to condemn someone. But that if they determined someone was guilty of a crime, they would always, this was their own, this was their own self-imposed rule, they would sleep on it and they would not impose judgment until the next day. They're going to violate all their rules. They're about to violate all their rules. Because another rule was they never charge a man and condemn him on the same day. They're going to charge Jesus and condemn him on the same day. They're going to condemn him without true witnesses. And they're also going to condemn him and not wait for the next morning to sentence him. But because the death penalty has been taken away from the Jews, and Rome exclusively has the right to capital punishment, they're going to have to appeal to Pontius Pilate in order to get Jesus crucified. But this is the beginning of all of this, the mock trial, and they're going to pass into Pontius Pilate. Luke says then he goes from Pontius Pilate to Herod, and then the Bible tells us he goes back from Herod to Pontius Pilate, and then Pontius Pilate eventually sentences him to death, though reluctantly. This, this becomes now uh, this scene here. And so look at verse 57. It says, those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Now, all the other gospels say that, uh, Peter was warming himself by a fire. So it's a chilly evening. He's keeping his distance. He wants to see what's going on, but he doesn't have the courage to come out into, into, the, uh, the, into the open to really be known. So verse 59 says that the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward, false witnesses, and declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Now, that's not exactly what he said. If you mark down in the margin of your Bible, John 2, verse 19, this is what he said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. He didn't say he was going to destroy it. He just said, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. And John 2.21 says, by this he meant his own body. He wasn't talking about the temple. 
there in Jerusalem. He's talking about his temple, his body, that if, that if, his, that if he dies and is crucified, in three days he's going to rise again. But these false witnesses come forward because nobody's willing to testify against Jesus truthfully. And they say, yeah, this guy said that he could destroy the temple and then he, and then he could rebuild it in three days. Well, verse 62, then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. Please take note of that. When someone falsely accuses you, let God defend you. You're going to waste more time opening your mouth trying to defend yourself, and usually you'll end up having to apologize for something you say in the attempt to defend yourself that'll make it worse than if you just stood there and kept your mouth shut. Can anybody relate to what I'm saying? All right? So some of you understand how this works. But yet because, again, our flesh loves to make sure that we're right, we want to defend ourselves, don't you love the way that Jesus, he knows he's right, he is right, he is perfect in all his ways, and he does not open his mouth to answer his accusers. It's not even worth it. Some people get so worked up trying to answer their accusers. Let God defend you. Don't waste the time. The truth will prevail eventually. Just let God defend you. Just stand firm in who you are in Christ and let the Lord fight your battles. Jesus stood there and he remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ. That's a Greek word that means Messiah. If you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And he answers directly because he's charged here by the high priest. He doesn't answer his accusers. He answers the high priest. He says, yes, it is as you say. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, underline that phrase, the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, and, here's a separate phrase, coming on the clouds of heaven. Now the first phrase, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, is Psalm 110, verse 1. He's quoting the Bible. It's a messianic passage. And he's going to give a double wham. He's going to give a double passage because the other phrase, you're going to see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, is Daniel 7, 13. He's giving them their own scripture that refers to the Messiah. And inasmuch he's saying, I am the fulfillment of Psalm 110, verse 1. I am the fulfillment of Daniel 7, 13. I am Messiah. It is true what you say. To which they reply, verse verse 65, the high priest then tore his clothes. That's a sign of grief and shock and mourning. He tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Because he understands that what Jesus is saying is, he is Messiah, he is the Son of God, he is God. And for the one who doesn't believe the high priest, he thinks this is blasphemous. It was only blasphemous if it isn't true. But if it's true and he is God, which he is, It's not blasphemy. He sees it as so. He says he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? He's violated his own rules. Look now, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He's saying to the rest of the Sanhedrin, the 70. He is worthy of death, they answered. And then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, mockingly, Prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you. Mark said that they blindfolded him first. 
which is why when Matthew adds it, they say, why don't you prophesy? Who hit you? Because he's blindfolded, and then they just start pounding him. They want to know, can you tell whose fist that was? Why don't you prophesy to us? Listen to the mockery here. Listen to the mockery. Isaiah 52. When Isaiah writes prophetically about the Messiah, Isaiah 52 says that they beat him so mercilessly that he was beyond recognition. He was so disfigured. Isaiah 52, Isaiah 52, verse 14. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. His face just became so swollen and disfigured from the beating. This is even before he's whipped, even before he's nailed to a cross. Just the beating that he sustained at the hands of the Sanhedrin so marred him that it disfigured him. And you wouldn't have normally then been able to even recognize him if you didn't know him. In Isaiah 50 in verse 6, it gives us a little more description about the beating as well. In Isaiah 50 verse 6, I offered my back to those who beat me my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Isaiah tells us that in addition to the pounding that he got by their fists, that they actually grabbed hold of his beard and yanked it out by the roots. The beating, the mocking, the plucking of his beard... This is even before he's turned over to the Romans. This is what the Sanhedrin is doing to him. Well, verse 69, let's close out this chapter. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. We would say, I swear, I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. It's very interesting because he's from the region of the Galilee. And the people from the region of the Galilee were considered in this day country bumpkins. All right. So if you're, you know, from northern Virginia and somebody from southern Virginia starts talking to you or somebody from North Carolina, then you can tell they're not from around here. All right. And so it's that kind of a thing. And so she's like, your accent. Wait a minute. You're not from around here because it's from the Galilee. And he speaks with somewhat of a Hebrew, you know, like Mashlomka. All right. You know, Shalom. How y'all? It's that kind of thing. So they realize you're not from around here, are you? And Peter says, verse 74, Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Now, the word curses in the Greek there is karanathematizo, karanathematizo, and it literally means I'll be damned. That's what he says to them. I'll be damned. I don't know the man. I just like saying that because I don't really get to say that in real life. But it's in the Bible study, so... I shouldn't say it again because my wife's on the first row over here. But anyhow, but he says that. He says, I don't know. So here's, this is a fulfillment of exactly what Jesus said. Three times, you'll deny even knowing me. And immediately a rooster crowed. 
which is, makes it probably around 5 a.m. now. And then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Notice this. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now make a, a note in the margin of your Bible right there. Luke twenty two sixty one. Luke twenty two sixty one. Here's what it says. Luke's gospel tells us that at some point it must have been that Jesus was being shuffled out of the Sanhedrin. He had just been brutally beaten, and he's being shuffled out because in the next scene here, a little further down in chapter 27, he's going to be taken to Pontius Pilate. And so there must be some transition here where he's moving from the Sanhedrin on the way to Pontius Pilate because Luke twenty two sixty one says that as soon as Peter denied Jesus the third time, Jesus looked at him. Jesus looked at him. Jesus caught eyes with him. And then it says, Peter went out and wept bitterly. I don't know what your thought is about what Jesus' look might have looked like, but I believe it was not a look of scowling. It was not a look of, see, I told you so. It was not a look of shaming. It was a look of love. It was a look at love for a man that had denied him. And Jesus' heart, no doubt, was broken. But it was broken in love for a friend. When you fail Jesus, and I fail Jesus, he's not in heaven with a scowl on his face. He's brokenhearted, but it's a look of love. Don't ever perceive Jesus as this angry Savior. He's not an angry Savior. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love for us and that while, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you think about your personal failure before the Lord and every day as we wrestle with our own sin and we come clean and we confess to the Lord and just get right with him, please know, he is not this angry, scowling Jesus. He's looking at you with a look of love. And he's eager to forgive and he's eager to cleanse because that's why he died, because he loves us so much that he's given us life through faith in his name. And with a heart of compassion, no doubt, he looks at Peter, locks eyes with him. And Peter, knowing his own guilt, not the shame that Jesus piled on him, it was his own condemnation, his own guilt. He just broke. Peter just wept bitterly. He knew he had forsaken Jesus. He knew he had denied Jesus. And yet, by the time the Gospels are over, the rest of the story is that Jesus wonderfully and beautifully restores Peter to ministry, takes away the shame, reminds Peter of his love for him. God never discards us 
God never, I'm done with you. He doesn't talk like that. He doesn't look like that with a scowl. He is a loving Savior who died for the sins of the world. And I just want to emphasize this because too many people are kind of afraid to approach God. They're afraid to get right with God. They're afraid. They're afraid because they think that God's this angry, I'm ready to punish. No, 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 no. It's the look of love that Jesus has on his countenance for you and for me. And he delights to show us mercy. Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Matthew on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can download our mobile app, too, while you're there. It's under On The Go. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45, as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. CornerstoneConnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. And you can meet the staff. If you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to study Matthew, and we hope you'll tune in again to learn more about Jesus. That's right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know